Pre-COVID, we knew that 66% of healthcare workers were facing burnout. As healthcare providers, we're notoriously bad patients and we can give great advice, but we certainly aren't taking it ourselves even, um, especially as self-care goes and um, burnout prevention and resiliency training, things like that. We just are, do not do the job that we should taking care of ourselves the same way that we're taking care of other people. You know, we can't control a lot of these things, but what we can control is what we do before we show up to work, how we care for ourselves to keep ourselves going, how we recover from, you know, a death of a patient or a really hard day at work. And instead of pushing that down and just going through the motions, I started experimenting with what I could control. And I saw such a huge change in my life and in my career and how I cared for my patients and how I uh, showed up for my coworkers that I just had to do something about that. But what I really like to work with is the meaning and purpose that we bring individually and what happens when one individual shows up alive to work and um, checked in and ready to serve their patients and their coworkers and their team. What does that look like? Because what happens is it starts spreading like a wildfire <laughs> and then another individual feels that way. And then you have this full team that instead of checking out and um, going through those motions, they show up with meaning and purpose. And what we see in healthcare with that is, um, you know, an increase in patient safety, a reduction in medication errors, a um, reduction in the turnover rates, you know, things that of course are very important um, for what we're doing right now. But then of course their personal satisfaction goes up to in every area of their life, not just work when we start paying attention to those things. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Um, The best thing I can say is just visualizing what our healthcare system would look like if we had nurses who had come alive. You know, I feel like if we can empower those nurses individually in a way that then they are empowering each other and we can come together as a whole, just picturing the impact that we can have on our healthcare system and on our patients' lives and, um, you know, on each other, thinking of each other as a whole person and having an outside life and how we can, um, you know, really empower each other. I think that foundation, that's what nerds me out big time. Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. We've got a lot of work to do. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. I'm back with another Improvement Nerds episode. So excited to be sharing this guest with you all. And before I bring her on, I want to talk a little bit about 
um, the importance of building a community of people who believe in the same things you do. Because when you surround your people, surround yourself with people like that, your network just grows and grows and grows. And collaborations that you never thought possible come your way. So that's how I came across Meaning Sarah. I was on a previous podcast right after we recorded it, um, started to nerd out, of course, like the nerd never stops after the episodes. Like we, I'm sure we're going to nerd out a little bit after this too, after we stop recording. Um, but we were just, I was just talking to Erica and she's, you, you have to meet Sarah. So she connected the two of us. I'm so glad she did. And in the first call we've had and every call we've had afterwards, we talk about our family. We talk about our, some of our goals and dreams and we both always get to our passion of healthcare and helping to make healthcare um, a bright spot within our nation and within whatever context we're able to, whether it has a reputable employer or an organization that's doing great corporate social responsibility activities, whatever it might be, when the two of us connect, those things always come up. So I'm, I'm sure they're going to come up during this episode. So ladies and gentlemen, I welcome Sarah to the show. Sarah, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. I'm so excited to get to talk today. I'm pumped up. So we have our video off because internet is not <laughs> working well with us today, but I just can sense the energy in your voice and I can feel like we're going to have a, a great episode. Now, I, people really can't ever sense my energy in my voice because I'm super monotone. So <laughs> this is easy on my side because your your voice is easy to detect like, hey, she's happy for me. <laughs> Please don't fall asleep, okay? All right, I'll try my best. Awesome. So tell us a a little bit uh, about yourself. All right. Well, um, I'm Sarah. Like Tom said, I've been a nurse for about 10 years now. And, oh, man, how deep should I go, Tom? Should I talk about my crazy children? (laughs) Like, that's such an important part of who you are. (laughs) Such a huge part. So I'm the mom to three boys, seven, four, and just turned three. And my husband, Alex, and I live in Indianapolis. And um, I have a company called the Healing Healthcare Project, which is kind of what Tom was saying connected us, um, where I work with healthcare providers to help prevent burnout and turnover in healthcare. That is tremendously important work. And I know we're going to get really deep into that that stuff um, pretty soon. But I want to talk a little bit about your path, your journey to nursing. And was this something... Yeah. At, you know, as a family profession, like you had roles <laughs> in the form of your mother, father, or, or relatives who were in the healthcare sector, and you just knew from an early age, like, hey, I'm going to do that too. So that's I- a great guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my dad is a doctor, and my mom is a nurse, and my grandma is a nurse, and my aunts and uncles are doctors and nurses. And yes, I come from a very healthcare oriented family. And I think for a very long time, I wanted to kind of rebel against that. And uh, I tried English as a second language and just English and um, all sorts of things, thinking I could avoid kind of this destiny. (laughs) And then I actually took a conversation with one of my best friend's moms, who's also a nurse, who um, kind of sat down and asked, like, why are you avoiding this? (laughs) And um, decided to jump in after that. Yeah, 
thanks for kind of sharing that. And I'm sure a lot of people in healthcare have the same type of family upbringing where it was just ingrained. It was all new. And I think that's, that's true for you. And it's true for a lot of people. And then other individuals who just stumble into it. And I, that's more my story. Um, I, I was just fortunate that I was provided a, a small sliver of an opportunity to, to get into healthcare. And, you know, I, I'm a millennial. So one of those like, yeah, I'll work here two to three years and, get, mm-hmm. and move on. Um, but, you know, within that first year, I knew that I discovered something that I really loved doing. So stayed where I was at for, for many years and still try as much possible to, to be around healthcare. Just amazing people. Yeah. What was that 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 made you realize that was where you were supposed to be? You know, that's a a great question. It was more the people. Less yeah. work I was doing, it was more the attitude and the passion that I saw yeah. others having for their work. And it was contagious. And I, I just yeah. loved being around it. I loved seeing how individuals would show up to serve others and that was just a great type of energy to be around. So I, I ate it up and yeah. like lust for it. Like that's my favorite part <laughs> of consulting is you get to see some amazing things unfold uh, through people working together. Yeah. That, and that really sums it up. Well, kind of that's, that feels like home to me because you can imagine being in a house with, um, you know, mom and dad, both in healthcare, it was, um, very people oriented and focused on helping care for others. And that is a spot that feels very, um, very much like home to me. I mean, I grew up going on mission trips with my dad. He's an optometrist and we would go to Haiti and Mexico and, um, do all these medical missions that just, you know, it was just kind of ingrained in me, like you said. And, um, my mom is, hopefully she doesn't listen to this because she'll be so embarrassed, but (laughs) she and my dad both are some of the most generous people that you could ever meet. I mean, she's always been in administration, um, my whole life. And she would, I'd see her on the phone with work, taking care of problems and, um, supporting people. And then she'd come home from work and we'd be at the grocery, picking up groceries for somebody or an employee, um, who, you know, had something else going on, we'd be dropping off diapers anonymously on their porch. And I mean, they both are just so have that, that energy that you're talking about that you just are magnets for people you want to be around and you want to pick up on, um, that vibe. Yeah. And I am, I'm going to have to get your parents on, on an episode that like, that is, (laughs) that'd be great. And I think they role modeled, what it means to serve others. And I think absolutely um, has individuals do that. Like it's pretty easy to see that you uh, get when you give. And, right. Um, you know, it takes time and energy and it's, you have to have a willingness to search for opportunities to, to volunteer or to give. Um, but, you know, spend that energy because you're going to get it back. Right. I I know with um, our program, we have a a big emphasis on contribution and I've got some slack from that before people saying like, well, if we're trying to, you know, avoid burnout, why are you asking us to give more? And I'm like, 
just wait for it. Just wait for it. <laughs> it's just like you said, the more you give, the more you, you see back too. Exactly. And I, that was yet another reason I was um, in love with what I was doing while I was working in healthcare was part of their leadership program was to encourage volunteerism through a program called Serve 360. And yeah. that is, you know, giving back in ways of volunteering your time at schools to support children who need help with reading or writing, uh, who need education on on food or even access to food or, or coat drives. So there was just a lot of ways to get involved. And that to me was a great experience, but it also broadened my thinking about what healthcare was. Was yeah. it, you know, a hospital, it was a anchor institution that exists. For the community. Yeah, yeah, that existed for the community and would do things in that way to to give car seats out to, to right. safety and to go to school and talk about smoking cessation. So super active. And I thought, you know, this is cool. And then I realized not only was it cool, but it was really, really super unique because not very many organizations do that type of stuff. Yeah. So true. All right. So let's, let's talk about the healing healthcare project and let's nerd out in, and go deep on that. So how did you come about this, this opportunity or this passion to form this company and to start serving the healthcare professionals that serve others? Tell us that backstory. Well, I think with you having a uh, digging right into my upbringing, I think that's pretty um, obvious for the most part. Um, it's taken me a few years to realize it's kind of funny because I think that's pretty obvious to other people after they hear how I grew up and um, for why I would be attracted to taking care of the healthcare providers. But for me, it was kind of like, oh, that's where that came from. Um, but even, you know, I mentioned going on mission trips with my dad when we would go on those, my I loved taking care of the people that we met and and assisting with that and getting that time with my dad. But I was always making sure that the people who were fitting the glasses and things, that they had their water, <laughs> that they had the things that they need, that they were set up to be able to do their job the best. And um, looking back now, I can see how that has uh, worked in through my whole life as a, uh, my whole career as a nurse. And um, I really found myself a few years ago uh, on the floor taking care of my coworkers as much as I was taking care of my patients. And I would, um, I, that's the part of me that really just came alive was being able to bring the energy to the floor and encourage the people I was working with and um, get that teamwork going. Um, I really loved that probably a little bit too much. It probably seemed like I had way too much coffee a lot of days, but <laughs> um, that is what really inspired me. Um, is just, I just feel really alive when I'm helping with, um, with those people because they're able to give so much more when they're taking care of themselves. And as a whole, as healthcare providers, we're notoriously bad patients and we can give great advice, but we certainly aren't taking it ourselves even, um, especially as self-care goes and um, burnout prevention and resiliency training, things like that. We just are, do not do the job that we should taking care of ourselves the same way that we're taking care of other people. 
and I, so I would, I'm going to venture to kind of explore why you fill that gap. Um, is, was there an experience or something that kind of brought it to light that you were um, able to anticipate and build teams and kind of keep things going? Was I mean, it sounds like intuitively you enjoyed doing that, but at one point did you realize like, Hey, this is, this is something I'm really good at is to, to be transferring energy to others and, and enabling them to do more. What, what was that moment? Well, there's probably a few different points, but you know, it, it's no secret that our acuity is rising like crazy right now with our patients, especially even, you know, pre-COVID, we knew that. Pre-COVID, we knew that 66% of healthcare workers were facing burnout. And that, you know, I feel like we're going to be saying from now on, pre-COVID, post-COVID. Um, but we knew that there was this huge issue with burnout. And I just found so much, um, um, I guess, exhaustion in realizing that we couldn't control that. You know, there were a lot of things coming down from leadership of um, new, um, I'm trying to think of the word to explain, but with our, our whiteboards and keeping up with different charting things and new requirements, you know, you have to be um, on all the time in, uh, especially as a nurse. And I think that just feeling all that heat coming that we couldn't control, I saw a lot of people check out and just go through the motions. Um, myself, I even had times on um, looking back where I would feel, I would wake up and I would go like, okay, I'm gonna get my coffee. And then I would literally be thinking the minute after my alarm went off, when can I go back to bed? <laughs> and when I'd go to bed at night, I'd set my alarm thinking, when can I have the next cup of coffee? And just going through those motions and I would see my coworkers doing the same thing. And I just realized that, you know, we can't control a lot of these things, but what we can control is what we do before we show up to work, how we care for ourselves to keep ourselves going, how we recover from, you know, a death of a patient or a really hard day at work. And instead of pushing that down and just going through the motions, I started experimenting with what I could control. And I saw such a huge change in my life and in my career and how I cared for my patients and how I uh, showed up for my coworkers that I just had to do something about that. And that, that leap going out, doing it on your own, you know, how long of a runway was it? Was it like uh, a light bulb went on and the next day you were putting things in motion to make this transition to form your own company or was it more gradual? How, what was it was a process. For um, it was definitely a process. I, uh, I knew that, I, I think the best thing I could explain is I just had this restlessness in, in me and I'm, I'm willing to bet that you know exactly what I'm talking about, Tom. <laughs> and I just had this feeling of like, I've got to do something. And then I was like, okay, what is that something? <laughs> so I did my part on, um, when I was working on the floor of just trying to figure out how I could show up the best of my ability those days and help encourage other people and keep digging um, through some things. I met a coach, Aaron Bridgman, who's local here to Indianapolis, who um, 
I started working with her and she really opened my eyes to a lot of things. I know you've had some experience with coaching, really positive experiences too. And she just kind of pushed back on a lot of things that I had, um, that I had set limiting myself and helped me start questioning, okay, where do you want to go with this? And do you want to follow this restlessness? And are you, I mean, you know, especially being surrounded by healthcare providers, you know, as a healthcare worker, you have a very solid job of knowing, like, there's never going to be a day, most likely that you're not going to have a job and having that, um, having that pushback sort of in my mind of like, okay, going out on your own is a much bigger risk. But at one point it got, it got to where it felt like a bigger risk to stay where I was and not follow this, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's definitely um, a sensation that's hard to describe unless you've felt the tension yourself. And um, I think a lot of people who have, you know, either made the decisions to go through a transition on their own or were forced into changing and look back and say, like, this was meant to happen all along. Fred, I just, we were just messaging each other today. And he had said, you know, when you, when you go through your journey and you're looking forward, everything that's happening around you may not make sense. But when you look back at it, it all adds up. I think um, having outside eyes to help you kind of make those decisions of how, how do, how do all these things um, come together to, to allow me to do something purposeful? And a lot of all those things coming together are really blurry because you're looking at them with apprehension and fear or uncertainty and sometimes you just need a little bit of a kick in the pants. I know I totally. Right. <laughs> hey, well, you're never going to figure it out if you just sit here and stare at it. Like, go yes. that step and get a little bit uncomfortable. Yes. That'll I'll give you this, this opportunity to experiment and just how uh, uncomfortable you're capable of being. Yeah, exactly. And um. I, one thing I did was I changed from working in the hospital to working um, for a corporate um, insurance company where I could work from home. And then what I was doing is I was getting up in the morning before work and working on my um, business. And then at lunch, I was working on my business. And then an hour after work, I was working on it. And at one point, you know, it just got to be like, okay, I can't juggle all of this. It's time to, to make that jump. And when I finally did that, that was last October what's funny is I went into the office to return my um, computers and all of my, my things that I had from home. And they were literally putting up a sign in the lobby when I walked in that said, don't be afraid to let go of the good to go for the great. Oh, nice. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay, this is it. So what I kept doing is I just kept looking for those little pieces of just confirmation. I'm like, okay, you're doing the right thing. Take the next step take the next step. You don't have to have the whole picture, which is what I used to really um, need before I jump into something. And now I just have um, seen so many different doors open and so many different confirmations that that was the right choice that um, that really keeps you motivated when you're in those places where you're questioning everything, which I, I know you know what I mean about that too. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely something you have to be heads up about. I, yeah. I was 
in in uh, leadership and stuff, a lot of my work was heads down, like being productive. And you couldn't help it because that's really the ruler you were measured against was right. the value you created and could return. So you'd grind it out and you'd do a lot of work in a heads down type way in this world where it's undefined and it's almost like you're wandering you have to be really heads and those confirmations I call them signals um that man like I see them all the time now because I'm watching for them not just within what I'm trying to do for the green dot but just in life in general I, I see those things and um I've learned to kind of trust it and not just the signal, but the gut feeling I have whenever I see that signal has an, yes. be good, or this is a little bit, this is, I need to tread this cautiously. You know, previously I, I'd ignore whatever my gut was telling me when I was heads down because I was all in my head. Yes. This world, it's, it's all of your um, capacity. So my, my coach was Rachel Pritz. Like I'll name drop her any time, any opportunity I'd get. Yes. She's wonderful. She's a rock star. And she helped me understand that. Okay. Like you perceive the world through three thinking centers, initially your analytical thinking center, your brain, your emotional thinking center, and then your gut. And, And she's like, you, your gut is a lot stronger and influential than you think it is because you're um, thinking too much in some ways so you got to learn to trust that and that's really like that was I still work on it but for the full six months we were working together that was what I was trying to really become in tune to and um, I think individuals who are ignoring their gut like if this is a, if any if you walk away from this episode taking anything to heart is you got to learn to trust your gut absolutely yeah and we do a lot of work with mindfulness and um one thing that we really focus a lot on is meditation or just taking that time for quiet to help perfect that strength because it is um a lot of times i would say the majority of clients that i've worked with haven't done the work on that yet And when you start focusing on that mindfulness and you're taking time to get quiet, uh, whether that's guided meditation or just sitting in silence or, you know, going for a walk in the morning and listening to what's around you, you really start picking up on more, you know, signals like you call them or clues or God winks, whatever you want to call them. Um, And I, my husband and I were talking about this the other day and it's just, it's funny when you start becoming aware like that and you think, what was I missing before when I had my head down and was just going through the motions. What was I afraid of too, that took me that long to get to that point? Exactly. And I think what you're doing now is you're walking around and helping individuals be more centered about themselves. And and I think that's such an important part of any any person's life um, in any industry, delivering any product, good or service, like it's important there. But when it comes to healthcare, it is absolutely necessary and essential yes. to help healthcare be as good as it possibly can be. Right. Right. You had shared statistics about the burnout rate and 
um, I observed it, I, I would see the same things you saw in the individuals around me. And I even myself experienced burnout. And it was so present, but not talked about. Yes. Yeah, I I totally get that. And I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of different keys that go into that. You and I have talked about the framework for improving joy in work is in the workplace has been a big emphasis lately, thankfully, because it's so needed, but there's so many different components to that. And I think that acknowledging that, first of all, is a big deal. But what I really like to work with is the meaning and purpose that we bring individually and what happens when one individual shows up alive to work and um, checked in and ready to serve their patients and their coworkers and their team. What does that look like? Because what happens is it starts spreading like a wildfire (laughs) and then another individual feels that way. And then you have this full team that instead of checking out and um, going through those motions, they show up with meaning and purpose. And what we see in healthcare with that is, um, you know, an increase in patient safety, a reduction in medication errors, a um, reduction in the turnover rates, you know, things that of course are very important um, for what we're doing right now. But then of course their personal satisfaction goes up to in every area of their life, not just work when we start paying attention to those things. It's like you just drop the hammer. (laughs) It's like everything healthcare is trying to achieve in regards to quality or financial well-being. All, All of those things are driven by the vibrancy of your workforce. Yes. A lot of people, you know, are working on employee engagement and they're trying to draw those parallels between how your workforce feels and the uh, impact that they can make. Yes. So hard to measure, but you know it's there. You know it's because when you, as an individual, are in a state of healthiness, you are able to give 125%, right? Which was like statistically not possible, but you feel like you can. Like everything yeah. just flowing. What you're doing fills your cup and it makes time pass as if it, um, you know, is like on fast forward. Like you just lose track of time because whatever it is you're into is yes. making you so um, delighted and joyful that it just goes so quick. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you had asked me what it is that nerds me out specifically that led me to this point. And I just, I think it's um, the best thing I can say is just visualizing what our healthcare system would look like if we had nurses who had come alive. You know, I feel like if we can empower those nurses individually in a way that then they are empowering each other and we can come together as a whole, just picturing the impact that we can have on our healthcare system and on our patients' lives and, um, you know, on each other, look, thinking of each other as a whole person and having an outside life and how we can, um, you know, really empower each other. I think that foundation, that's what nerds me out big time. (laughs) That is definitely something that I nerd out about too. And I'm glad you circle us back to that because when you were sharing your story about the pressures of 
uh, all place on healthcare, but that when it comes to the cutting edge, the fine point where that actually um, is carried out between the nurse and or whatever caregivers present and yes. patient, there's so much, there's so many barriers between that exchange that it, it's near impossible to do um, in a way in which are present because you checklist of okay I've got to follow this process I got to document this I have to comply with this standard and all this technical aspects are preventing you from actually caring you're just following the process that was given to you and it's a what I would say is a vicious cycle right it's a yes. the quality of healthcare because all the complexity some of which is due to the patient's complexity. That's really hard to control for, but other parts are totally controllable. They're in the design of our processes. Yes. That we have not efficiently designed healthcare processes with the patient in mind or or the exchange of healthcare to the patient in mind. So we just add layers and layers and layers upon layers, and it's really hard to dig your way out of, and it wears on an individual and in that article I'd shared with you from IHI, uh, Joy at Work, you yeah. know, they're correlating it and saying like that is that burnout, all this complexity that we're causing onto ourselves is leading to harm. And they said, yes. we know that empathy and compassion is important to safety. And they, I think they say you have to realize that a nurse can't give what they don't have for themselves, Right. That's where the cycles that like that's where this vicious cycle just spins out of control. Yeah, you're so right. And I think one thing I really like from that article, I mean, that's one that you'll hear people, if you start getting into this, you'll hear that referred to a lot because it really broke ground on calling it out and saying, you know, how can we expect this of our people? Um, one thing I love about it is that it speaks directly to the leaders. Um and that says leaders should model by tending to their own wellness and resilience training. And I think that's important too, because a lot of times, you know, coming from um, the corporate level or administration level, they're getting all this feedback saying like, make sure you're inspiring your employees, make sure you're tuning into them as a whole person, but they're not, they're not taking that on themselves also. And I, I, I just had a conversation with my dad last week about, um, just growing up as a kid and my brother was there too. And we were just laughing because we thought, you know, a lot of times we thought what you were telling us was just crazy. And it was like in one ear and out the next and, and out the other. And I'm sure it, it felt like that to you, but we were watching everything you were doing and, and modeling. And there's so much of that ingrained in us now. And I think you can take that sort of parenting reference and push it over to um, any workforce too. And what your leader's modeling is what your employees are going to take on. So if you're the leader that's there, um, you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and you're just running yourself ragged and you're not taking your vacation time and you're not taking bathroom breaks or we, what do we call them? Bio breaks. <laughs> um, and you're not taking a lunch. That's what your employees are going to be seeing as, oh, okay, well, they must think this is what's important. And this is the priority we need to place on it. So it's not not only aimed towards the employees, but also the administration. It's twofold. It well, it's multifaceted. It, every yeah. layer of the organization is susceptible to burnout. And yes. 
it's important across all layers that health and well-being or wholeness or whatever is a focus but it is most like you were saying it is most important that it starts at the top because that sets the the tone and the attitude of the entire organization um, I've seen some really cool examples um, in the form of like personal bylaws and I'll talk about the foundation and one of the leaders, Joyce Irwin, who is a dynamo. She is so awesome. Uh, when she came in, she and her team redesigned what it meant to work on that team. And she made commitments to her team and to each other. And on one of them, was that aspect of boundaries and was clear was really clear about how they would communicate with each other um on on the day-to-day and do that in a way that was respectful and it included things like we will not send emails after 6 p.m yeah oh that's good when you're home at six to whatever you're home like yeah we're not going to intrude on that. And I thought, wow, like that is really powerful. Like it seemed so simple, but it was setting very clear boundaries to say, I don't, I'm not going to expect you to work all the time. Yeah. And it, it gives you that permission not to. Yeah. I think that's what people really need is clarity on yeah. what, what is acceptable and what's not. And how to establish boundaries and safeguard them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you you brought up the, hey, like this is all layers of the organization. It's it's about role modeling. And you know, when we when I was just nerding out about the vicious cycle, do you know what the opposite of the vicious cycle is? Tell me. The virtuous cycle. Oh yeah. Yeah. So in some ways you're reversing the process. So like from, this is like super nerdy stuff, but because oh, I, I love it. So from economics perspective, there is the vicious and the virtuous cycle. They're considered economic models. And in a vicious cycle, like it's perpetuated and it's a negative feedback loop. So it just erodes. The yeah. vicious cycle is a positive feedback loop that builds and compounds and elevates, right? So what you were saying about this one nurse acting as the catalyst on their unit to come in and be authentically themselves and not, not feel, um, uh, I don't know what feeling word would be appropriate, um, selfish to be whole selves because I think a lot of people like don't want to feel really good about themselves because they're worried about other people feeling worse about how um, their own situation so we need yeah they get small yeah we need one to get big together right so we need individuals to say like I'm doing this for me so I can show up better for you and I'm going to pour into you so you can pour into yourself so you can pour into someone else right like that's the idea of virtuous cycle is that giving um, begins giving, which then allows for more giving to occur. And this thing can really add up and multiply fast. And I think that, that you're trying to get that flywheel going. Yeah. Talk about a mic drop. Now I feel like I need to like stand up and pace. That's good, Tom. <laughs> that, so that's, I love to take business theory and try to bring it into real life. These yeah. 
be playing out. Do you have examples of of organizations you've worked with or a unit you've been on where that came to life? I, unfortunately, I have a lot of examples of where it didn't. (laughs) Um, and I have, um, several that really stand out. Um, when I was in, we lived in Washington, D.C. for a while, and I helped open a, a PACU at Georgetown, and that team was probably the healthiest team I've ever worked with. Um, there's one other that stands out, but it was so neat because what was cool is we all felt ownership in it because we were helping open it, right? When I say that, I don't mean like I, was a, I wasn't a manager. I was a, a staff nurse, but I felt as though it was my unit because they asked for our feedback. We helped get everything set up. We organized the way that we were charting. We organized the way that the patient flow came through. And our manager, um, her name was Claire, was so, so involved in being a part of it. She was hands-on with the patients. She was always around to hear the feedback and to make sure that she was setting that example, like we talk about leading from the top of how she wanted things to go. And I think just seeing the empowerment that came from, from that ownership and to see the way people were able to show up more as a even better nurse and an even better coworker and an even better employee when they were given that permission from management to give their input, to take care of themselves as a whole, um, you know, and just to really acknowledge the person as a full human. I mean, I can remember um, here, here I go on the tangents. I warned you about this, Tom, (laughs) but I, I can remember one of the nurses, his father was diagnosed with ALS. And this is the time of like the ice bucket challenge, if you remember that. And um, they made time for after we closed the unit, uh, a PACU, it was an outpatient PACU. So we were closed after a certain time. Everybody stayed after work because they wanted to, to film a, um, a, the, full, the whole floor, the whole staff was there to film a um, ALS challenge with the ice bucket challenge to support this other coworker. And that's a team that, that, you know, is thriving. That's a unit that was thriving. Our, you could see it in our numbers from how quickly the patients were moved through. You could see it in the numbers from the patient satisfaction because they were seeing us laugh and happy to be there and happy to serve them. And um, that's one that I, I really love referring to and and thinking about there. I think it's a great example of giving people the opportunity to take ownership in, um, in something to, to be invested in it and responsible for it. And you use the word empowerment and that word is so important. Um, I, I think it's, some ways it's also a slippery slope like people have to understand to empower includes two things right and a lot of people often just do the first piece which is ability oh i'm accountable to this yes that's important to do but the other part of it is ability so i've said this in other episodes oftentimes people forget that part of it well, if you yeah. think you're empowering people and you're holding them accountable to something they're not capable of doing, all you've done is caused anxiety and stress. Yeah. And I, when I think about, you know, units where I've seen the opposite, uh, I did traveling nursing while I was in Washington, D.C. So it was really cool for me to be able to see a lot of different areas. The majority of my background is cardiac. Almost every unit I've been on is cardiac. And um, I 
it was neat to see and to step back because I wasn't, I was only there for short term for 13 weeks. So I could really get ingrained into the culture and see where things were coming from without actually being a part of that organization. And um, to, it was really neat for me as a big nerd to see what was happening with management, what was happening with the team, where the culture was being impacted. And then to go on to when I accepted the full-time position there at um, Georgetown and see that, that view of, I mean, it was a no brainer when I think my salary was cut in half when I took that job because, you know, travelers are paid really well, but it was worth every penny to me to be able to be in an environment like that, where I knew I'd be able to grow as a person and to be able to grow as an employee, um, you know, it's just worth so much more than a dollar. <laughs> All right. We're going to get nerdy. Because okay. you just said there ties to Maslow's hierarchy. Absolutely. Your basic needs obviously were met. Um, right. And you, you in some ways, you gave up more of something to get something different, right? So your yeah. salary and the work you do, you get a lot more than just an income, right? You get yeah. legality and a sense of belonging, in, in some ways, you get this opportunity to do things bigger than yourself, right? So that's moving up the hierarchy is that that sense of belonging. First, you have your, your basic needs and then psychological safety and then a sense of belonging all the way to, hey, what, what we're doing together is truly impactful and amazing. And this is me working and striving in ways I never thought possible. And that's kind of the apex of self-actualization, right? And I think organizations, they um, don't realize that individuals really long for that sense of belonging and oftentimes will pursue that to and give up something that we think is, you know, more tangible or more important, such as an income. Yes. And a paycheck um cutting it in half because you wanted to be part of something that made that one gave you friendship and a sense of a, a work family um but also what let you see the result of your work and to get get that gratification as a part of of the journey i think another thing that stands out to me from that time is that everybody was given lunch breaks and bathroom breaks. And Georgetown's a really great example. There's many hospitals that are great examples of, of people who are empowering their staff now. But one thing that was really cool was they actually had a nurse's lounge there where a patient's family had donated uh, the money to build this area where there was a, a break for um, quiet. So there was a room that had it literally, this is crazy. Like people don't believe me when I tell them this, but it literally had massage chairs in it and like a basket next to the massage chairs with yarn for people to like, if they wanted to knit and it had spa music on it. And there was another room with a TV and an espresso machine. And then another room with computers because uh, one thing that Georgetown really did well was investing back in their nurses for their education. And so a lot of people, almost every nurse that I worked with on the floor was in a master's program at the same time. And um, that was just something that, to me, I felt like the most powerful thing about that was that it was donated by a patient's family. And having that reminder when you're going in there every single day, realizing like, okay, I was appreciated, goes so far. What an amazing space. 
And yeah. Having a space like that gives a reprieve to individuals who really need it because they're under constant barrage, like healthcare right. 24 seven. And when you're there, um, it is hard to carve out any quiet space. And even when you go home, that challenge is still present, right? Cause you just, so true. you know, suffering is happening and you can build thick walls and try to separate it and you know put things between you and the patient but even with all that energy you spend there like you still see heartache and it hurts you too yeah yeah and I think that's a big piece too you know I'm I feel like I'm I'm old enough <laughs> that I saw what um you know we won't get into this too much or else we'll really be on a, on a tangent but I'll start saying right like please don't take me down a <laughs> I can't handle stuff like that. <laughs> well, I was just going to say I'm old enough to, that I remember when patient ratios were different. So um, I would have three patients to one nurse and I would do lots of different things with, you know, bathing patients and doing vitals and things like we worked together with the, the tech that was assigned to our team because we had that time with having three patients to one nurse. And as those ratios have changed, I think that's what's really added to, I know that's what's really added to a lot of the pressure and the stress and the burnout and the compassion fatigue that we're facing right now. And um, I just think, you know, acknowledging that and realizing that we used to have the time to take those breaks and how important they are and how different the turnover is now is a really big deal. And I think just acknowledging that and figuring out, okay, what can I do to face this way? I can't control the acuity. I can't control the ratios unless, you know, you want to go into administration and you want to fight that, then I'm all for that. But (laughs) as a, a nurse on the floor, as a healthcare provider that isn't in administration, what can we do um, or on the flip side, if you are in administration, what can you do before you get to work to really show up whole and ready to give? And that's where I just get oh, so fired up because I saw such a huge change in myself when I started implementing, you know, especially probably the number one thing that I would tell anybody who's concerned about burnout in the middle of burnout or headed that way is figure out a morning routine for yourself. You know, we hear that a lot that's kind of become a, a catchphrase or a trend right now, but it is so important to get that routine instead of jumping out of bed, wondering when you'll have coffee or you'll sleep next or getting to work five minutes early to scroll Instagram. What if you transformed those five to 10 minutes for you in a very healthy manner? What would that look like? And that is the part of, for me, that gets so exciting watching people transform from just making a 10 minute change in their day. It'll get you started on the right foot and help you have resolve in an area that is highly varied and, and unpredictable, right? So if yeah. you up and you're, you're in chaos before you enter that chaos. So there, that's the reality of healthcare is there, there's things we can't control and there's things completely out of our control and we have to have resiliency and grit to be present and steadfast because the patients really need us to. Right. I say us. I I couldn't do stuff like that. I admire those who are the ones who have to stand by the bedside during those difficult times, but I'm privileged to be standing behind those people and try yeah. as much as possible to pour into them. So I think what you're saying is very has merit 
plus I want to add to it if I can. This is super nerdy. So I'm reading this book by Daniel Pink right now, recommended by uh, my friend Abby Cook, who is like a closet genius. She's <laughs> when she speaks, like she drops knowledge every time. And in this book, it's called When. Uh, they're doing research on the importance of taking restorative breaks across a lot of different environments and activities within society. So yeah. um, making um, judgment in, in a political system. So he's got a chapter on what does it look like for a judge to give parole or um, you know give more freedom and tracking their decisions across the day and uh, so that's one example they'll do students and test taking and tracking their results based on when they took the test but they've also done it in healthcare and they've seen that safety is um, at its best so outcomes are yeah. at its best early in the morning between 9 and 11 and oh over time, though, if people do not take breaks, they don't get that reset to stay present and has a right. result. Uh, their energy erodes and goes with it, patient safety and engagement and all the things. So what you were saying is, hey, we've increased the ratio, we've increased the stress, and we've taken away the breaks. And we realize yeah. breaks are absolutely necessary for someone to unplug so that they could plug back in and uh, right. the book is oh man I'm like maybe 50 pages in and um, it's just got me thinking yeah that's been on my list for a while I can hardly wait now I'm even more excited after that plug but I, I just love how you said you've said a couple of times about being present and I just think acknowledging that disengagement in the effect that it has and if you can if you're walking into work disengaged if you're on you know scrolling social media if you're you know not that that's bad i'm i'm on instagram a lot <laughs> i'm not condone i'm not saying that that's bad but um you know if you get to that point where you're doing it because you're avoiding something if you're trying to avoid these emotions that you're having and that exhaustion and that um the pain from the day before from your shift before and you're not taking the time to really work through those things and build that resiliency that that just looks that you show up differently, you know, your patient care looks much different. What, and even if you're not in healthcare, you know, I think you can apply this to any service-based business where you're caring for other people and you get so engrossed in that, that cycle that we were talking about rather than stopping and taking those breaks and seeing how you can um, show up even more fulfilled and engaged and how that will, um, you know, pay off time and time again with those breaks is big. I can't wait to read that book. You'll love it. And I hope the improvement nerds listen to it, like seek it out and find it. Th I'm sure there's a lot of uh, other analyses that have been done. And uh, I'm just starting to retool my morning habit. And, you know, a lot yeah. of my work with where my uh, mind is at. So like, it's pretty, it's super, super cool the research they've done and they're talking about this initial peak and then this trowel and then a, a recovery and then the end of the day kind of thing. And they're saying like to 
really mitigate like a crash in the in the midday is more frequent re-energizing breaks and they're saying things like if you gave kids one extra recess yeah you had them take math in the first two hours of the day and if you aligned your tests to happen within uh, or closely after a break um, education overall would improve and same thing with surgical outcomes or you know um, any anything and I I was just like holy my mind was blown and I, I immediately had to say okay now how can I tinker with this and what habits can I start to form in my day that maximizes you know how I'm spending my time and energy knowing when I'm most creative and when I'm able to do the most analytical stuff so like I'm yeah. supporting a person who was um getting ready to take his master black belt he's actually taking it today he's probably taking it oh wow and so you know when he had questions about like Z scores or hypothesis analysis or something highly analytical stuff. If I read those things first thing in the morning, oh man, I would be right there. I knew the answer. And then, but if he would ask those questions and I wouldn't see him until like three o'clock in the day, it was, oh, it was, I was on the struggle bus. So that's so interesting. I'd be curious, you know, has you, partner with organizations and you help nursing to become as vibrant as it can be um, put in your Mary Poppin bags of tricks <laughs> um, this idea of more frequent breaks I, I think it's it's something oh, yeah this book has convinced me I would say that's probably the foundation for what I do especially individually um, that's really where we start I'd love to hear more about what yours are too what you're what you're tweaking and what how how do you start your day so I've already changed it just reading it. So they talk about a morning routine, an ideal morning routine based on your, so you have to type yourself, you're yeah. or a lark or an owl or a third bird. And <laughs> so you got to know what your um, rhythm is naturally. And then based on that, like they've got hacks that you can do. So based on my rhythm, the ideal routine is wake immediately and uh consume water and then um you know shortly thereafter light exercise not vigorous exercise which what i was used to doing i used to wake up and just go out and grind it because that's what i did as an 18 year old so that was how i did everything um wait until 90 minutes until you eat and drink your first cup of coffee kind of thing so like it's just got me rethinking um you know, doing my own experiments to see how I feel throughout the day. And then like when I'm doing my work and when I'm doing creative work versus um, analytical work and stuff. So my morning routine has changed. I used to get up and the first thing I drank was coffee. And then I'd exercise closely on the heels of that. And now the first thing I do is chug two cups of water, get the puppy, take them for a walk, come back, make breakfast, um, drank my coffee. It, so, so yes. Oh gosh. More to come. I'm curious once you read it, what you're going to change. Well, I could, I could talk about that forever because that's really what was, what kind of catapulted me to all this because I read a book called Millionaire Morning. Have you heard of that? 
Oh gosh. Okay. By Hal Alrod. So when, after I read that book, I changed everything. And what happened was it, that's what I think gave me the courage to step out and what I credit for um, the clarity and the ability to make those big decisions and jumping into um, going after this dream. I, I credit that. To, and I've seen so much success with, um, I use some of his principles from his books with my one-on-one clients and I've seen so much success and so much change. And what's funny is it's just common sense that, um, you know, it sounds like this, um, the book that you're reading, what's the name of it again? Um, when, Daniel Pink. When, yeah. You know, it sounds like that's a little more detailed, but if you go back to the Hal Elrod book, A Million, Millionaire Morning, you, um, it just all feels like common sense, but also we're not doing it, you know? And I think that's a lot of things with any caregiver, it, whether you're taking care of a parent or a child or you're working in a healthcare setting is that we know what we're supposed to do, but we're not doing it. So no matter how, even if you put three minutes of your day, you start out with just for you of, you know, maybe it's headspace or calm or um, some kind of guided meditation app, or you're walking your dog, like you were saying, you add that into your day when you're used to just going through the motions and it, something's going to change for the positive. There's just no denying that, you know? So I, I love that. I could talk about routines forever. That's my thing. <laughs> There's so much good information in this episode. I wish our improvement nerds the best of luck in unpacking everything we nerded out about today, yeah. <laughs> ways to apply it to their life. There's so much juicy content in here. Even if you aren't in healthcare and aren't a nurse, you shared a lot of things that, that I think are relevant to almost anyone who wants to live a whole, uh, li- live more whole and yes. really show up in different ways, whether you're doing um, life-saving work, such as working in healthcare or uh, pouring into your family, what, whatever it is, you, whatever goal you have, or purpose you're pursuing, I think the big takeaway from this is you're not going to be able to do any of that unless you yourself have have given your given yourself the best opportunity to do it, right? Like you got to show up before yes. it can ever become a possibility. And that's such great advice. Yeah. It's so good. It's so obvious, but it's so important. It's screaming in your face and almost every social media channel right now like I like all the time and even though I see it like remembering to do it is not our way of life like we I don't don't know what your it sounds like you know in your upbringing there was pour into others um like this this work hard type situation and I think I saw those same things, but I guess I never took away, like, if you're going to work hard, you also have to play hard. So it took to figure that part out of the equation, uh, because as a kid, like play is just everything. Like, uh, you forget it as you become an adult. So when you see when your upbringing, your parents playing and stuff, like as a kid, I don't think you notice it as much, but now that I have children of my own and I watch my dad play with my kids and I'm an adult now, I, it makes more sense that like he was trying to teach me the value of play and it wasn't all work that it was both. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's something that I'm constantly working on because um, 
I definitely come from a long line of people who love to work. <laughs> so adding that play in there has been a, a process over time, but taking that time to rest and seeing um, how much more energy you have to work when you do do those steps is, has been life-changing. So yeah. how would individuals listening to this episode and realizing they need you in their life, individuals who've had that happen as a result of this, how do they get connected with you? And um, how, if, if they're a representative of a, uh, a department or a nursing group, so one, let's talk about your individual coaching, and, but then also beyond that, how you support organizations. Sure. So um, you'll find me, if you're looking for individual coaching, you'll find me mostly on Instagram. I hang out there uh, quite a bit in the DMs, but you can also um, email me and I'm happy to talk to you there as well. My website's currently under construction mid-COVID, <laughs> but should be up um, by the end of the month or beginning of August. So you can find more information there too, just by searching um, the Healing Healthcare Project. But I am um, is that what you, is that the answer you were looking for, Tom? Yeah. All right, well, let's get that website cooking. Gonna... I know. <laughs> she, she's working really hard, but it's under construction right now. <laughs> Give her advance notice that we're going to try to crash it with overwhelming demand. <laughs> I love that idea. I love that idea. But I am, um, can I add a little bit of a challenge on here? That's how I love to end things too. Let's. <laughs> so for anybody who's listening to this, whether you're in administration or um, you're working on the floor, or I do work with people who are not in healthcare, simply because I've had so many people ask me what the heck I'm doing now that they're like, well, I'm not a nurse, but can I do it? I'm a mom. And I love my passion is working with any caregiver. Um, so please feel free to, to hit me up. But I, I, what I would love to challenge you all today, and I think Tom, you've seen Tom and I both just applying this to our lives, but I'd love to challenge you rather than just listening to this podcast and cleaning your kitchen or folding your laundry or running, whatever you're doing, is when you have a minute, sit down and really answer these questions. This is, this is where I started and what um, really changed things for me is just, uh, why did you choose the current path that you're on? What's getting in the way of the current path that you're on now? Like, what is the thing that's the pain point that's making you feel this isn't what I thought it would be. Are you, be really honest here, are you actively working to find a solution to that problem? And what I find is a lot of people say no, because it feels like too big of a hill to climb. And then I would love for you to answer yourself, why not? Like, what is it that's blocking that ideal visual that you have of yourself in a fulfilling career? Why not you? Why can you tell other people this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. But when it comes to yourself, why do you not truly believe deep down that you deserve to get to the bottom of that? And then work within those limiting beliefs to really challenge and uncover those and figure out what got you to that place and what can you do tangibly to get out of that? Beautiful. Those are <laughs> hard questions to answer. And I, I, they've been asked of me and man, I just wanted to hide under the covers and not answer. Yes, it's scary. Take, take what she's saying seriously, answer those questions. And I think if I can add one thing that when I had to answer those questions that really helped me was the idea of an evidence box, yes. evidence drawer. It's a thing of uh, milestones I've achieved that, um, you know, looking back on were really, um, gosh, just serendipitous. Like everything came together, whether it was... Yeah 
project or finishing a race or in the position to make an investment that was timely or, or whatever, like that, I would say it was luck, but really there's no such thing as that. And everything in that drawer, you have to realize like that was you who did it, but it was also through the support of everyone around you and just realize that that drawer represents your ability, not just in the energy you have as uh, a person of one, but in what others have really enabled you to do. And like, when I look at that drawer, I think, cause it's, it's easy to say like, I'm all alone and who am I to figure this out? Well, that's, that's very true. You're never going to figure anything out all by yourself. It's your whole life. It has always been what you've achieved because of others. Yes. Right into you. So give yourself an evidence drawer. And in that evidence drawer, I think you're going to see that you're a very capable person, not because what you've done but because who you've surrounded yourself with yeah I love that I love this whole episode you me too I love talking to you we could talk for hours (laughs) I know and I wish we could uh maybe we'll have to do another episode you know that sounds great being the podcast host is I get to make those decisions (laughs) you know people yeah Yeah, I know I should go right to the top (laughs) it has been an absolute blast having you on this episode and thank you for coming on and encouraging the improvement nerds to pour into themselves so that they can pour into others absolutely thanks so much for having me tom i hope you have a great day you too